The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. There have been fresh calls for policing reform in the United States after five Memphis police officers were indicted by a grand jury on charges of second degree murder of Tyre Nichols. Over the weekend, too, we heard from uh, former President Donald Trump, who does not take kindly to being challenged for his party's nomination by Ron DeSantis, warning DeSantis that his political career could be at an end if he dares to challenge uh, Donald Trump. I'm joined by Larry Donnelly, law lecturer at the University of Galway. Larry, good morning and welcome. Great to be with you, Pat. It's good to have you in studio rather good than down here. the line at the University of Galway. So let's talk about Memphis and what went on there. Different to many other cases because we've five black officers indicted uh, for the killing of a black man. Normally, you know, it's been white officers against black. Yeah, it's it's just horrific. I, I have to say, I know that the video is in pretty broad circulation. I can't bring myself to watch it based on what I've read uh, about it. This uh, this poor young man, I mean, he, reckless driving is allegedly what he was pulled over for uh, and for it to escalate to this level uh, where the poor man is, you know, cry, literally crying for his mother as he's beaten savagely. Uh, it's just revolting at every sense. And I think the mayor of, uh, of Memphis was dead right uh, to swiftly fire these people. Uh, they're charged with second degree murder. Uh, swift justice, I think, is in order here. But obviously a bigger conversation about policing in the United States. And one of the things I always say to people here is that in this part of the world, we tend to talk about a police service, whereas yeah. in the United States, we talk about a police force. That's only one word, but it's actually quite significant in how the police see themselves and how their role, what their role in society is. And I think that's amplified with units like this one, where it was basically charged with going out and knocking heads. Yeah. That's really what this they were. This is the Scorpion unit, which has now been disbanded. Now been disbanded. And the other point to make here, in this instance, these individuals are not veterans of Iraq or Afghanistan, but a lot of this overreaction uh, by police and some of the horrible things that have happened in recent years they are veterans of Iraq uh, veterans of Iraq and Afghanistan possibly with PT- PTSD and when a violent confrontation arises that kicks in in my view uh, but again this militarization has pervaded uh, the police force so while the racial element isn't here an awful lot of the other problematic things with police in the United States were very much to the fore now you might explain to us how policing works in the United States I mean here we just have the Garda Síochána and it, uh, it covers the 26 counties and we have the PSNI in Northern Ireland should there be a United Ireland I've no doubt there'd be a United Police Force perhaps with different divisions in the UK we have divisions you know we've got the Met famously in in London the West Midlands Police and so on and so forth. In the United States, um, you get the impression that maybe the police chief might be elected. Yeah, it's an absolute smorgasbord, you know, because there is federal law enforcement, but generally speaking, uh, we're talking about the state and then the municipal level. So you'll have some federal law enforcement, but then you have uh, the state police in every state. Uh, then you have city and town police, county police, county authorities. It is an absolute smorgasbord. And one of the issues there is uh, the levels of training, uh, the level of people who apply for the positions, etc., varies very, very widely. Uh, so competence, uh, what can be 
expected. The levels uh, of, of skill and ability, et cetera, vary very, very widely. So uh, all of these things uh, desperately need to be dealt with. But um, you know, one of the realities in the United States is the strength uh, of police unions, who are very resistant to uh, a lot of the reforms that I think are being cried out for, and certainly in the wake of tragedies like this uh, mm-hmm. surface. Uh, but it doesn't happen, uh, unfortunately, and part of it is a consequence of the inc- the inconsistency uh, across the United States. The police forces at every level, presume, presumably, are armed to the teeth. Absolutely, yeah, they they are armed uh, in the United States. Uh, look, uh, you know, I think it, it, you know, given the way the United States is, given the prevalence of the gun culture, uh, I think we've crossed the Rubicon. I think they have to be armed. I think that's the reality yeah. of the situation. I don't think you'd get anybody to go and police an inner city area uh, if they weren't uh, carrying a gun because of what they're dealing with on a day to day basis. But that having been said, uh, obviously the protocol at every level, and I, you know, I'm not familiar with them, but the protocol at every level should be, uh, and I'm sure it is, that you know, using those five firearms is an absolute last resort, not a first resort. Yeah. They have other weapons at their disposal. They have uh, tasers at their disposal. Uh, They have non-lethal projectiles they can fire. So there are other ways. But if the other guy has an AK-47 or its equivalent, you know, the, the instinct might be to fire first. It, it is. And again, just to, to revert to what I said, when you have a substantial percentage of the police officers are veterans of these wars in the Middle East uh, who've seen pretty, some pretty horrible things and been in some pretty horrible situations, uh, my strong suspicion is that when they get into these tense, uh, you know, situations where there's a potential for violence, some of that training that they would have received uh, in the armed forces kicks in at, at one level or another. And, and I think that that has to be a factor. So they, they feel they're in a military situation rather than in a civil situation. That, that's my strong suspicion. And look, there's an awful lot of experts who, who've said the same thing. Uh, one of the disturbing things about what happened in Memphis was the uh, conspiracy by uh, the officers themselves to get their story straight. You know, the, he attacked me, etc., etc. He drew a gun on me, all this kind of uh, stuff while being recorded on their own body cams. Yeah, it's I mean, bizarre. Yeah, not not only not not only clearly, you know, bad people who did a horrific thing, also very very stupid. I mean, I mean, I, I don't know what's going through their minds uh, as they know they have body cams, they know they're effectively being recorded, uh, yet they have this free-flowing conversation. So, at every level, uh, it's a horrific incident. I'm only glad uh, and I, I have to give a, a tremendous amount of credit to this young man's uh, mother and stepfather uh, because they really pled, they pled with people not to let this become uh, uh, you know, a cause for violence or rioting. I don't see any evidence that there's been significant rioting. We yeah. see peaceful protests, which I think uh, is extraordinary. I think it's a good and fitting way uh, to remember this young man's memory. And also at the same yeah. time, uh, I hope that these uh, f- these individuals are brought to justice very quickly. And Do get you think, field. though, that it also was because it was black on black violence that the nature of protest would be much more complex. I, I'm afraid so. Yeah, I'm, I'm afraid that that's probably the case. If this were yet another incident of, uh, I suppose, violence with the racial animus behind it, I don't think we would be having a conversation about peaceful peaceful protests. I think there would be a lot of righteous anger, which of course is understandable uh, among communities of color. And that, unfortunately, uh, would lend itself to some horrible incidents, I suspect. Now, let's talk uh, politics. And uh, Donald Trump is... Uh deciding definitely to go for the Republican Party nomination to be president once again, uh, to the point that he has attacked his nearest rival, uh, who's put the head above the parapet in the Republican Party, Ron DeSantis. 
Yeah, we know that's Donald Trump's M.O. Uh, anyone who dares to challenge him, he is going to attack with every fiber of his being. Uh, I should say, Pat, that I'm quite surprised uh, at the, Trump's resilience in the polls. Uh, he is still very, very popular uh, with grassroots Republicans. Uh, I do think that Ron DeSantis is going to increase in popularity. I think, again, Trump is the, the, the big name. Everybody knows who he is. But I do think that DeSantis is going to improve his standing, uh, but it's going to take some time. The other thing to watch out for here is if other candidates get in the race. We're hearing about Nikki Haley, the former governor of South Carolina, Mike Pence, Mike Pompeo. If there are multiple candidates in this race, uh, again, Trump wins. Donald Trump has that base that will stay with him through thick and thin. If there are multiple candidates in the race and they get some traction, so they have to get some traction as well. If this boils down to DeSantis versus Trump, mano a mano, quickly, uh, I still suspect DeSantis will beat him. Uh, but if there are multiple candidates in the race and the sport is divvied up, Trump has that lane to himself, and he win, he'll win the nomination. Does Trump, though, at 35%, have a chance of winning the White House? I suppose it does depend on who the Democrats put up. But, I mean, that, even if it was Biden and Trump face-to-face, Biden still wins, does he not? Yeah, I, I don't I don't see any scenario in which Donald Trump could win back the presidency. Uh, the reason I say that primarily is because the people who matter uh, in American presidential elections, that small cohort uh, that float, okay, that, that some of whom may well have in 2016 or maybe even in 2020, voted for Donald Trump because they wanted to give the system a kick. Polling has repeatedly shown that that cohort uh, has had enough uh, of Donald Trump uh, and his antics. I just don't think he can get uh, over the okay, line. You, you read the polls, but so too do the Republican bosses. Um, now, who is the boss of the Republican Party? Uh, it's certainly not Kevin McCarthy. Um, so they know as well that they can't get back the White House if Trump runs. Yeah, they know. They, they have a terrible, terrible predicament on their hands because uh, look, they know that they they know that they can't uh, they can't get back unless you know, if Trump is the nominee. But at the same time, they don't want to risk offending uh, that that base of people uh, who, you know, who again, you know, are so in awe of Donald Trump that they will do as he says when it comes to voting. So you see a collective sense of fear uh, in the Republican Party when behind closed doors, uh, I'm sure that they all wish he would just go away. Now, what about in the Democratic Party? I mean, Joe Biden indicating perhaps he he will run. Um, A lot of people observing him saying, no, um, you know, it's time up. Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the striking things to me is if you look at the polling again, you know, the, about half of Democrats uh, don't want Joe Biden to run for election again. Now, they'll, they'll rally to his flag if he, if he decides that, but that's a pretty damning number when about half of the party faithful don't want him to seek office again. Who do they want? Well, that's that's an interesting question. Uh, there is a narrative out there that there's nobody out there. There are plenty of potential candidates who would be very strong. The one I'm, I'm tipping uh, is Gretchen Whitmer, the governor of Michigan. Uh, I think she would be a formidable candidate and ticks an awful lot of boxes. But Biden's close, the people close to Biden insist that he is running. This is it. No, there's no question about it. I think it's going to be very difficult. And, you know, I have to be blunt. Um, there are pre-existing quite legitimate concerns, both about his ability to campaign. Remember, he won't have the benefit of COVID, mm-hmm. which nobody could travel, uh, as in 2020, about his ability to campaign 24-7, 365, and then his capacity to govern at ages 85, 86. When you have those pre-existing issues, mm-hmm. and then you throw the documents, uh, the, conf- the, 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 the documents that have been discovered. He, he was rescued somewhat by Mike Pence, also a vice president having documents found in his possession and, you know, quickly handing them over. Yeah, I I suppose, yeah, he was partly, but but for a lot of Americans, 
Uh, remember, Biden was probably the biggest critic of Trump for uh, having the, the classified documents. Uh, and now Biden has to kind of live by the sword because he said, look, how could you let this happen? The same question can be asked of him. And is Kamala Harris dead in the water? Well, look, you know, she's a sitting vice president. That gives her a very powerful perch. But uh, if you look at the numbers, I mean, she's even more unpopular than Joe Biden. And one of the things that she's been given ta- charge of is the, the southern border. And I think immigration is going to be a big issue in the presidential election. Uh, it's a difficult situation, but she certainly uh, hasn't helped things at all. So uh, I think she's in difficulty. Larry Donnelly, law lecturer at the University of Galway. Thank you very much. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9 a.m. on News Talk.